Good morning. Look at y'all packed in here, man. I love it. I'm going to, I'll make this brief. Uh, Is anybody got a brunch that they got scheduled? Anybody? I don't. Can I go with you? I forgot, but uh, well, good morning, guys. Thank you for being here. My name is Troy, and uh, glorious day. Uh, I, I'm just going to start off by telling you something. Um, I, I love Easter. I love me some Easter. It wasn't always that way. I wasn't raised in church, and I didn't know anything, but man, I love Easter, and, and I know considering what I do for a living, you're probably not surprised to hear that, but I love everything about it. I love the nice outfits. By the way, what do you think? It's just a little something I put together. If you're a guest with us, I never dress up, and this is as good as it's going to get. So enjoy. Take a picture. But uh, I love the outfits. I love uh, baptism that we're going to be doing at the end of today's uh, service. I I love uh, chocolate Easter bunnies, as you can tell. I got too many uh, peeps. Any peeps, peeps? I love that. Yeah. I, I, I love our egg hunt. Man, thank you for everyone that helped put together that great egg hunt yesterday. Give yourself a big hand. I appreciate that. So... But, but here's the thing, more than that, I love Easter because we get to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm telling you, uh, every Sunday we get together and we talk about something, but, uh, but today we get to talk about the thing, the thing. This is the Super Bowl. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing that makes that so exciting is this, um, it raises a question that I believe everyone needs to ask at some point in their life. This brings up a question that everyone should ask, and maybe you haven't asked it since you were a little kid, or maybe you haven't asked it since you left your faith back in college. Maybe you've never asked this question, but I believe this is a question everyone should ask, and it's this. Who is Jesus? I mean, we got to wrestle with that. Who is Jesus? And the reason I say this is that the resurrection, get this, the resurrection is what convinced those people back in the first century to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was literally God in a bod. It was the resurrection. It wasn't Jesus' teaching that convinced them, and it wasn't uh, his tricks or his miracles or however you want to categorize those that convinced them. It was the resurrection that uh, convinced them. In fact, if you're here this morning and uh, this is your first time here with us, you need to know something about us, okay? Are you ready? Here it is, and it's this. We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. Now, it's way, way better than that. I mean, it's much more substantial than that is what I mean. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead Because I'll tell you why. Because a first century Jewish tax collector by the name of Matthew saw it and wrote it down for us. He saw some things and he wrote it down. We believe uh, because a Greek named uh, Mark, who was a friend of Peter, wrote down Peter's eyewitness account of what Peter saw and we still have a record of that. We believe that. We, we believe because a Greek doctor by the name of Luke, um, who, by the way, traveled all over Asia and Europe, and he traveled all over Judea, and he interviewed, think about this, he interviewed hundreds of people who said that they saw the resurrected Jesus. And Luke wrote down, and we have an account of that. We believe because a guy named Paul, who, by the way, this is interesting, was a Jewish Pharisee, which is the same group 
that uh, uh, planned Jesus' execution. We believe because Paul stepped onto the pages of history as someone who hated Christians. In other words, if you're here this morning and you don't like Christians too much, you would love Paul. Paul committed his whole life to stopping the spread of Christianity. And then one day, suddenly and unexpectedly, he converted and he became one of its biggest advocates. We believe that. And here's my favorite. We believe that Jesus raised from the dead because uh, James, the brother of Jesus, concluded that his brother Jesus was the son of God. Let me just ask you, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? A lot, right? And, uh, and he did. And, 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 and James, you know, here's the thing about it. James early on wasn't a believer. He didn't believe it. He wasn't impressed by Jesus' sermons. He wasn't impressed by his supposed miracles. But after the resurrection, James definitely believed. He definitely believed. He believed so much so that he, he was stoned. Uh, not Colorado stoned. I mean like Old Testament stoned to death. He was stoned to death because he wouldn't stop telling people that Jesus had risen from the dead. I'm telling you, all of these brave people documented what they saw and heard. And yes, it's true. Years and years later, uh, their letters and their writings were collected and put into a volume that you and I today call the Bible. But I'm telling you, long before the Bible came along, there were hundreds of men and women who saw something that changed their lives irrevocably. That's why we believe. Now, um, uh, one of the things I've often found interesting and fascinating about this is that these people were brutally honest. They told the truth, and they told the truth about themselves. They didn't write themselves into the story as heroes um, or as true believers. That, that, no, no. In fact, uh, they wrote themselves into the story as doubters, just like us. They doubted. Even though Jesus told them that he was going to come back from the dead, they didn't believe him. They expected Jesus to do what all dead people do, okay? And that is stay dead. In fact, uh, this is true. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody was there. None of them were standing outside the tomb that Sunday morning, you know, counting down backwards from 10, you know, like 10, 9, 8, cue the sunrise, 7, 6, 5, 4, roll the stone, 3, 2, 1, ta-da! None of them were there because everyone who believed in Jesus no longer believed in him anymore. There were no Christians anywhere that Sunday morning. They all were convinced that they had been fooled or at very least been misled. I mean, the problem with Jesus wasn't what he taught or what he did. The problem with Jesus is who, what he claimed about himself. Jesus didn't say that he was a great teacher or that he was a great prophet. Jesus said that he was the son of God. And you and I know you can't kill the son of God. But there he was, dead, hanging on a cross. And all of their hopes were dead with him. Now, at the very least, they kind of hoped that he would at least be the king. He'd be a new king, that he would lead them out from this oppression under Rome. 
Uh, in fact, just a few days before all of that happened, Jesus um, entered Jerusalem to uh, enormous fanfare. Um, apparently, this is this, uh, supposedly, Jesus raised this guy by the name of Lazarus back to life in a little village on the other side of Jerusalem, and everybody lost their minds. I mean, everybody heard it, so much so that the entire city of Jerusalem came out to greet Jesus as he came into the city, and they gave him shouts of praises, and they're like, here comes the new king. They just welcomed him like a conquering king. And, uh, and, 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 uh, just, uh, and, and, and this, of course, threatened the status quo. The, uh, his enemies that day decided, we've got to put this guy to death. This is dangerous. But his followers at this point were convinced that they had won. They had won this thing. Uh, and, and, and their faith in him was never higher. Never higher because of this new thing that Jesus had done. In fact, just a few days after that, Jesus met with his disciples for the Jewish Passover. He met with his 12 disciples. And during that meal, Jesus announced a new covenant. A new covenant. That's a, a new agreement. A new deal between God and man. You're probably familiar with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, um, that was established by Moses, right? He gave it to the people. Uh, it was ratified by God when God etched the Ten Commandments into stone with his finger, right, up on Mount Sinai. Um, but the New Covenant, um, the New Covenant, uh, Jesus was established uh, by Jesus and, and, and ratified by God when God allowed his son's hands and feet to be nailed to a Roman cross. The old covenant, as you might know, was given to a very specific group of people for a very specific time. Uh, but the new covenant was for everyone. It was for the world, for you and I. And the old covenant was complicated. If you've read it, you know, it was hard. There was hundreds of commandments and hundreds of laws in it, and it was really complicated. The new covenant was simple. It had one command, one commandment. Jesus, Jesus, when he met with his disciples at that meal, said, a new commandment I give you. Love each other as I've loved you. Love each other as I loved you. And the very next day, Jesus would give a demonstration of his love that would take their breath away. So, um, at night, though, um, the powers that be were ready for Jesus. One of his followers, as you know the story, had betrayed Jesus, and they helped the religious leaders put their plan into action. And within a day, Jesus had been arrested, beaten, whipped, tried, sentenced, convicted, and then led outside the city to be executed. Now, the Roman governor at the time, his name was uh, Pilate. Pilate couldn't find any guilt in Jesus that warranted a death sentence. But the Jewish leaders pressed him hard. They're like, no, 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 no. He claims to be the son of God. And Pilate's like, who cares? That's a religious issue. That's between you and him. And they're like, well, okay. He also claims to be a new king. And Pilate, you are no friend to Caesar if you let this man live. And so Pilate gave in, and he sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion. Now, here's where I'll get you. One of the eyewitnesses to all of this uh, was a young man um, who followed Jesus around Judea uh, during the previous three years uh, and wrote down what he saw. His name was John. 
And John, in John's written account that we still have today, he says that immediately after Pilate sentenced Jesus, that the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And they made him carry his own cross, and they went out to the place of the skull. That's a hillside just on the outside of the old city walls that literally looks like a human skull. It's still there today. It is, it is eerie. It's crazy. In verse 18, John says, there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. It's interesting. That's all that John says about what happened on that. He, he knew that he doesn't have to explain crucifixion. His readers back then knew exactly what crucifixion was. I mean, everyone had seen one. It was brutal. Hundreds of thousands of people have been crucified by Rome, and it was, the most, it was one of the most horrible things. In fact, it, there were easier ways to kill somebody and to punish them than crucifixion. This was a long, drawn-out process, but there was a purpose to it. They, two things. They wanted people to be in terror when they saw it. In other words, don't do what this person did. And they basically wanted to wipe you off the face of the earth. A person would die on a cross. They would take your body, throw it in the dump, and dogs would eat the flesh. You'd, you and I don't know, hardly know anybody. There's two people in history we know who've been crucified, uh, Spartacus and Jesus. But there have been countless others, and they've all been wasted, taken off of the pages of history. And so he didn't have to explain more of what happened there. But then, here's the interesting thing. John gives us a little detail. Um, and it's interesting what, what he does here. Um, he knows that he's recording this for his, history's sake. And yet he adds a little tidbit in there that seems unnecessary. But it, it, it's clear that it's personal to him. As John stood at the foot of the cross, um, and he's looking at Jesus, wanting to look away, but not able to, Unlike every, everybody else, same thing. They just were horrified. Um, Jesus speaks to his mother from the cross. His mother is standing right next to John. And uh, uh, Jesus says this, John says, Dear woman, here is your son. And then Jesus looks at John and he says, And here is your mother. This is Jesus' way of saying, Take care of my mom. And then uh, Jesus, John records Jesus' final words on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. What was finished? The old. The old order of things, the old covenant, the old, all the laws and commandments and do this and don't do that and be perfect and all this stuff and you got to do and you got to bring an animal every year up to the temple. The temple system was finished. Got to sacrifice it. That was all done. Jesus said, it is completed. And then Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, what John writes next is super interesting. Um, it's if he catches himself in this. This is fascinating. Again, he's been given a historical account of the three years that he's been following Jesus. And he's writing down all these things, all these miracles and all these teachings that Jesus th did. And now he's writing about the crucifixion. And it's as if John suddenly realizes that all of that might seem a bit unbelievable to those who are reading or hearing what he wrote. Just like us. That there might be some people who hear this and doubt it a little bit. And so John adds a statement that you and I, probably, you may have read this before, you just skipped right over, but you and I would do well to pause and, and reflect on this a bit. In verse 35, John is talking in the third person, okay, as they often did. He, he writes in the third person, he says this. He says, the man who saw this has given his testimony. 
And this testimony is true. In other words, I swear, I swear to you that this is what happened. I, I saw this. I saw this happen. I saw it with my own eyes. I swear to you, this is what happened. And then it's as if John reaches through the centuries and through history, and he reaches out and he grabs you and I by our shoulder, and he looks you and I in the eye, and this is what he says. He says, and he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. You might be doubting, but I'm telling you the truth so that you can believe. In other words, because of what I saw, you too can believe because of what I'm telling you. You can believe because of what he's telling you. Now, to you and I, we may hear that. And we're like, okay, that's cool, fine. We're, we believe what you're saying so far, John. I mean, so far, what have you said? You said that there's this Jewish wannabe Messiah who got executed by Rome. That happened all the time. We believe you, John. Sure. To which John would say, okay, buckle your seatbelt because you might not believe what happens next. He says this, and he tells us a story. In verse 38, he says, later on, Joseph of Arimathea, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And with Pilate's permission, he quickly took the body away. As I said, normally a body would be taken down from this, thrown in the dump, eaten by dogs. Joseph might have hoped that Jesus was this new king, but now he knows. And so Jesus wasn't what, what he said he was, but he just didn't, he felt like he deserved better than that. He felt like he deserved at least a burial. So he pulls the body and gets permission to do that. It says this, that Joseph was accompanied by a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, some of you may have heard of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the Pharisee who had secretly visited Jesus at night. Here's what's fascinating about this. John is naming names. He's telling the true story about what happened here, and he's naming names. Because before the crucifixion, these guys would have kept, they kept their relationship with Jesus totally on the download. They kept it secret, out of fear. But now, apparently, they don't care that John is using their names and telling the world what they've done. They don't care. And so it makes you wonder, what changed? What happened, right? Well, um, John then tells us that uh, they're taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up with spices and in strips of linen, and they did this in accordance with Jewish burial customs. In other words, he's, he knows that some of us wouldn't understand what they're doing. We're not Jews. So he tells us this is something that we did as Jews. And then he goes on. He says, near the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid before. Now, this is an interesting detail. Back then, you may not know this. Follow me. They would not put one body in one tomb. They would put several bodies in a tomb. They didn't have room. They didn't have enough caves to do this. They, put several, they would wrap them up and they'd put them in there. And about a year later, the family would come and they would gather the bones of the deceased. And they'd put those bones in an ossuary box, which was a box, uh, a bone box. Um, we have urns and collect ashes. They had bones and had boxes. But John says this, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. In other words, it was the day before Sabbath. And since the tomb was right there nearby... They laid Jesus in there. What John is saying is, is that they were in a hurry. The sun was about to set, and they could not do this or anything else once the Sabbath began. And so these two men and their servants rolled the stone back over the tomb, and then they quickly left for their homes. 
Now, we have no idea what Peter and John and all of these other disciples did that night or what they did the next day or the next night. Um, We know that they were definitely hiding. Most of them were hiding in the city because they were afraid that everybody was coming after them. Um, We don't know what they talked about and what they discussed, but we can imagine that they were grief-stricken. Their friend was dead. Also, I've, I've thought about this. Things that happened so quickly, I mean, that Jesus was gone like that, and it happened so quickly, and my, my assumption is that they didn't really have time to process, and finally it started to dawn on them, it's over. This parade, this thing that we got caught up with a few years ago, it's over. Suddenly, after three years, it's all over. Was it a waste of our time? Did we waste our lives on this? But John tells us that early uh, Sunday morning, they were awakened by a knock on the door. Now, they uh, instantly thought it has to be Roman soldiers coming to get us, but then they realized a Roman soldier wouldn't knock. They would kick the door in. <laughs> and so they go to the door, they open it up, and there is Mary Magdalene standing there. Uh, Mary was one of Jesus' most devoted followers. Uh, Jesus had healed her three years before, and she had been following him from the beginning, and she's sobbing. And she's hysterical and confused. And and they're like, what's up? She said, "Uh, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. And the guys are like, who has taken him? I mean, who is they? What are you talking about, Mary? And so Mary tells them. She says, I went to the tomb early this morning to grieve. And when I got there, the stone had been rolled to the side. And the body had been taken Now, that's interesting. She didn't say the body had risen. She said it was taken. Again, these people didn't write themselves in the story as true believers because none of them believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. They all instantly assumed that there were grave robbers, that someone had stolen the body. And so Peter, and check this out, it says this. John says, so Peter and the other disciple, again, John is talking about himself, they started for the tomb. Both were running, and this is funny. But the other disciple, again, he's talking about himself, outran Peter and made it to the tomb first. <laughs> I win. <laughs> he put that in the story. It's funny. And I just bet you, here's how it happened. I bet you as John was remembering the story and writing it down, that he, had the, he remembered this detail and he kind of chuckled to himself. And, uh, you know, by this time that John was writing this, Peter had been executed in Rome by Nero. And I think John probably thought, well, you know, Peter's not here anymore. (laughs) He wouldn't be embarrassed if I had told him this. But people need to know that I was faster than him. (laughs) So he puts it in there. But then uh, John realizes that if I tell that part of the story, I need to tell this part. And so he tells on himself. He tells us that when he got to the outside of the tomb, that he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen that were lying there but he did not go in. He's like, I got to be honest, I didn't go in. Why, John? Why wouldn't you go in? Because it was a little dark. <laughs> it was a tomb. <laughs> I ain't going into that. That's freaky and creepy, right? But then he tells us that Simon Peter came along, right, came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. Why would he tell us? Because that's something Peter would do. Peter was one of those act first, think second type of guys. He rolls right into the tomb, and when Peter got in there, he saw something. Uh, strange, and he tells us, he saw, now you've read this before, but I bet you never caught this. He saw strips of linen lying there in the tomb, 
as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Now get this, the cloth was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. In other words, whoever stole the body, this wasn't a rush job, right? This wasn't, I mean, if you're stealing a body, you're, you're getting in and out of there, right? Thieves would not have taken the time, number one, to disembalm the body and unwrap it. They would have just taken it as is. And they certainly wouldn't have folded up the linens before leaving. We need to tidy this up. Who would have done that? Who would have taken the time to fold that and set it there? So John is a little curious. Uh, and so he says, finally, the other disciple got the courage, and he, and he goes this, finally, the other disciple, the one who reached the tome first, in case you missed it before, he then went inside. And then John gives us uh, a formula. Don't miss this. this don't, don't miss this. John gives us a, an equation, uh, it's a, and it's a formula, an equation that he wants you and I to remember because it takes you and I to the epicenter, the core of the Christian faith. This is how you get in, and this is how you stay in. Ready? He says this in verse 8. He saw, and he believed. He saw something, and then his heart opened up, and he believed. John is talking about himself. He's like, I saw, and then I believed. In other words, John would say this. I saw something that changed my life. It freaked me out. It changed my life. The resurrection, I don't know how to put it, the resurrection turned my world upside down. I mean, it reframed everything. It reframed how I saw the world. It reframed how I saw God. It reframed how I saw Jesus. In fact, um, I realized in that moment that everything Jesus had ever said was true. And Jesus had said some obnoxiously crazy things. I mean, he, one time we were with Jesus and we were the disciples and we're sitting there talking and Jesus is like, hey, fellas, look at this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he didn't mean like if you've seen my face, you've seen God's face. If you've seen my heart, if you've seen my love, you've seen my care for people, you've seen the Father's heart. Now, we didn't believe that when he said it, but now all of a sudden I'm like, OMG. Jesus said crazy things like, uh, uh, don't worry. He made commandments. He's like, do not worry. And before we're like, is that even possible to not worry? Who can do that? But all of a sudden now we're realizing, what we got to worry about? God's got it, right? Jesus said things like, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Before we're, no, no, no. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. But all of a sudden now we realize, can't hold us. What's there to be afraid of? That's right. Amen. Death ain't got nothing on me, Jake. I'm telling you, John and Peter's life changed that day. They were never the same again. It, it flipped. And then over the next few days, um, the other disciples came out of hiding, and they discover that Jesus is alive. They personally see him, and they talk with him. And... Uh, John records several of those conversations. You can read them on your own. But before I end today with a quick prayer, uh, I want to read just one of those conversations because it's particularly interesting and it's relevant to what we're kind of talking about and thinking about today. John says this. Get this. In verse 24, he says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. 
Thomas probably left Jerusalem. He didn't just go hide somewhere in the city. He left the town. And so he made his way back in finally. And when he gets there, the other disciples see him. They're like, Thomas, we have um, something to tell you. (laughs) We've seen Jesus. We've seen the Lord. But Thomas wasn't stupid. Thomas uh, wasn't superstitious. Thomas was a realist. He lived in this world. And he had just spent three years of his life following a false Messiah, and the last thing that he wanted to do was go chase a ghost the rest of his life. And so this is what Thomas said. He said, fellas, um, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, um, and unless I literally can stick my finger and poke it into where the nails were, unless I can stick my hand in his side where that Roman soldier had pierced him and blood and water was gruesome, unless I can stick my finger into there, um, I won't believe at all. I ain't gonna believe. John, I love you, man, but your word just isn't enough for me. Peter, I love you, but I think you're seeing things. You've gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, brother. Uh, rest of y'all, I love you guys, but listen, man, I saw Jesus dying on the cross, and I am positive he is still dead. I mean, who could blame him for feeling that way and saying that? But John tells us that a week later, a week later, and it's interesting, the details that he gives us. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Now, before I tell you, if John was here right now, he would make this disclaimer to you and I. He would say this. He'd say, I know, I know that what I'm about to say to you is going to sound a little weird, but I'm telling you, this is how it happened. My testimony is true. I, I have suffered greatly over the years for telling people what I saw. In fact, when I wrote that document that you're reading now, I was recovering from being boiled in oil. Yeah, the Roman emperor at that time, guy by the name of Domitian, had ordered that I would be put into a vat of boiling oil. And so trust me. Trust me when I tell you this is what happened. I'm telling you. He says... Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Jesus said that because he scared us half to death. He was always sneaking up like this. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, he turned to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, give me your finger. Put it in here. You see my hands? I want you to reach your hand, and I want you to put it right here in my side. In other words... It's me, Thomas. It's not ghost. It's me. And then Jesus said something that he had told his disciples before, but it never made sense to them. It never made sense until this moment. Jesus said, do not doubt any longer. Believe. Over and over throughout the years, Jesus had told them, do not doubt. Don't doubt. Oh, ye of little faith, don't doubt God. And it always kind of, they just kind of ignored him when they heard that. They're like, really? And now, suddenly, that command 
made total sense. Why? Because when you see your friend dead on a cross one day, and then three days later he's alive, you realize that the limits that you've placed on God need to be lifted. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and oh my God, as if he could say anything else. I mean, what would you say? And it's interesting. I have a feeling that Jesus just turned to Thomas and said, Thomas, listen, man, don't freak out too much. I'm not, uh, I understand why you doubted. In fact, don't let the rest of these guys give you a hard time about your doubts. Don't let them give you some nickname, Doubting Thomas, because you doubted, because they all doubted too, right? Not a single one of them believed that I'd risen from the dead until they saw me. And now Thomas, he said this, because you have seen me, you have believed. There's that formula, right? He saw, and then he believed. I saw, and then I believed. But now, Jesus adds a little amendment to that. He adds a little something to the formula. And it's as if he knows that this story is going to be told for generations and generations for all time. It's as if, when Jesus said this, don't miss this, it's as if he knows he had you and me here today in mind when he said it. Listen to what he said. He said, you have seen because you, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have still believed. That's us. In other words, it's possible to not see and yet still believe. You know people like this. You're like, how does it they get to that point? How does it they believe this? It's possible. You might go, well, how? How is that possible? Well, Jesus would say, blessed are those who believe, not because they've seen, but because they've heard. They've heard the testimony of people like John, right, who wrote down what he saw and suffered greatly for that. Jesus would say, blessed are those who believe because they have heard the testimony of people like Peter, who was basically an illiterate fisherman, probably never traveled more than three or four miles away from his home for most of his life. And then one day something happened, and Peter began to travel all over Europe and Asia, testifying, sharing what he saw until he was crucified for saying that Jesus was alive. Jesus would say, blessed are those who believe because they have heard from people like Paul and uh, Matthew and James and countless others all throughout the ages. And yet they still believed. I'm telling you, it's possible to not see and yet believe. All we have to do is to believe those who have seen and then perhaps we'll see ourselves. In fact, that's exactly how John ends his story. He says this. I want you to know that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this letter. But these have been written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can take it to the bank on my life, on my word, and that by believing you may find life in his name. In other words, believe what I say, and then you'll see for yourself. 
It's interesting. Interesting. Today, um, we got, for example, we got some people again baptized. We already had a dozen people get baptized, and maybe you were raised in a tradition. Baptism is just simply an outward symbol of an inward thing that took place in your heart. And so um, baptism is also a way, get this, for people who have seen God at work in their lives to encourage others to give a God a chance to show himself to them in their life. In other words, the people that are getting baptized here in a few moments, um, they, have, they have seen and they believe that Jesus is alive. Right. And today they want to testify in front of all of you. They're like, I'm standing up on this, right? And so I want to invite those who have came prepared to get baptized, to go quickly and to, to change and uh, to get ready. Uh, I want to invite the band to come on up. Look at all these people. Let's give them a hand as they go. Amen. That's cool. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. We're about to have a party. Okay, so listen, um, real quick, let me, let me pray real quick. And then uh, we'll have the band come, and then we'll have these guys get baptized. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me real quick? Um, I just want to talk to those of you who are skeptical. Because I haven't always believed. <laughs> and uh, I, I will tell you, just, just follow along with me. Uh, years ago, when I was 21, I went to church for the first time in a long time. Uh, I was bribed by a pretty girl. She said, come on, I'll buy you lunch. So food and girls, two of my favorite things. I was like, I'm in. I went to church, and listen, I went there, and I heard a message similar to this. I, I was told for the first time, or I heard for the first time in my life, that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, and that he raised from the dead. And if I believed that, that God would change my life, that God would come into my life, and he would help me. Well, I was kind of desperate. I was like, you know what, maybe, I don't know, but I'd like to find out. And so I said a prayer that day. Don't miss this. And I want to recite that prayer again and maybe this could be your prayer. My prayer was this. I said, God, if you're out there, if you're really out there, show yourself to me. I want to see. And I want to believe. But for me to believe, I got to see. And uh, uh, I said that prayer. And I will tell you, uh, it was a weak little prayer. It was a goofy little prayer. But over the next few days... And weeks and months, I was honest. I kept my eyes open. It was weird. God began to show himself to me. He began to show up in different ways and help me in certain things. And at first I thought, oh, this is just a coincidence. This is a coincidence. But at some point I'm like, OMG, this is not coincidental anymore. This is like something's happening. And now, 30 years later, I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen too much. I can't go back. In fact, I... I, I, I I dare to say this, but I think I would be willing to maybe die testifying to what I've seen. I can't be convinced. There is a God. He is real, and he has rocked my world. I will never be the same. That's right. And so I just want to, if you're there and you're skeptical and you doubt, join the club. All of us have been there, and all of them were. It starts right here. So maybe just say this prayer right there where you are. Give, put God on the, put him to the test. God, if you're out there, you're really out there, show yourself to me. I have heard a story about how you raised Jesus from the dead. I, I'm kind of about 20% on this, maybe 30. But I'm going to give you a chance to show yourself to me. I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to let you do your thing. Come, show me what, who you are. Help me to believe. Show me. Let me see.
Help me to believe, I pray.